I was recently on YouTube, and I was watching a Mr. Beast video. Uh, he's a great YouTuber. I love him. If you're not familiar with him, he basically does these extravagant videos where some contestant will come on, and they will participate in some kind of challenge or try to complete some kind of task. And if they succeed, then he will give them a very large amount of money or some kind of prize that is worth a lot of money. Think like houses and Lamborghinis, things of that nature. Uh, you have the chance to win. So in this video that I'm watching, there's a contestant, and his goal is to escape from 10 different traps. These are things such as uh, breaking out of a cage uh, before walls close in on the cage, or outrunning a giant boulder, or swimming underwater and unlocking doors while holding uh, his breath. These traps get progressively harder, and there are 10 of them, and for every trap that he successfully escapes, he gets $100,000. So this contestant has the potential to win a million dollars. That's a lot of money. Um, and as I am watching, I'm wondering to myself, how far is he going to go? Because the thing is, after each round that he succeeds in, there's a, another $100,000 in the pot, and he can stop right there. He can take it and he can run, or he continues, can continue, but he has the chance of losing it all if he does not escape the trap of the next round. And so I'm watching and I'm wondering, how far is he going to go? He's not going to stop after round one or two, of course, but, but how far? And so the first few rounds are a breeze. He, he flies through. He, he gets through like four rounds. He has $400,000 uh, that he can just walk away with, that he can just take. And he's feeling confident. The first few rounds have been easy. So he says, I'm going to keep going. He goes on to round five. And he wins. He succeeds. He escapes the trap half a million dollars that he can walk away with. And he's a little hesitant. He, he's talking to Mr. Beast. He says, I don't know if I should continue. Maybe I should stop here. And Mr. Beast tells him, hey, the next trap's actually the easiest. Like of all the rounds, you don't want to quit this one. So he continues. He succeeds, $600,000. And he's, he's iffy. But he says, you know what? I'm going to do one more round. I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to go for it. And if I succeed, that's it. I'm done. Don't let me go any further. So he goes, and you know what happens? He succeeds. No, he succeeds. He beats that round to uh, $700,000 saved up. And he said his own words, he's going to back out, right? Uh, well, no, he doesn't. He continues. And then in this round, uh, he does actually fail. He does not escape the trap. And that $700,000 he could have had just gone like that. Uh, he could have bought a car, bought a house, paid off loans, done all those things for his family. But just like that, it, it's gone. And you can see the realization on his face, like what he could have had versus what he lost. It's apparent. He's heartbroken. Uh, he's, he's just, he's devastated. Um, and as sad as the story is, though, I think that it is a good example of the monster we are going to be talking about today. We're currently in a series called Unmasking the Monsters. And we're going through and we're looking at four different emotions that have the potential to wiggle their way into our lives. And if not, addressed with, dealt with property, they can lead to some pretty harmful things. They can harm us. They can harm our relationships with others. They can harm our relationship with God. And so we're talking about these emotions, but we're also talking about how to unmask these monsters, how to deal with these monsters so that they don't take over our actions and our thoughts and lead to detrimental effects. And so in week one, we talked about anger. We talked about how when someone else wrongs us, we can get mad and that can harm our relationship with them. And so we discussed the secret to unmasking the monster of anger is forgiveness. 
we forgive those people who have wronged us. And week two, we talked about guilt, how it weighs on us, how it can make us ashamed. We said the key to unmasking the monster of guilt is confession. We confess to the people that we have wronged. Last week, we discussed jealousy and how coveting the things that others have can affect those relationships. We said the key to unmasking the monster of jealousy is by celebrating others, being happy for them when good fortune falls upon them. And this week, we're going to be discussing our fourth and final monster, greed. Uh, But there's a little bit of a problem when we talk about greed. When we think about greed, a a lot of us have this movie-like picture of a a really obese king. He's at a table covered in food, and he's just gorging while he's laughing at the starving citizens next to him. Or we think of a, a businessman who's trying to con old ladies out of their homes to build a shopping center and get more and more millions of dollars that he doesn't need. Right? We think of greed, and we think of these terribly immoral schemers. And that's not incorrect. That is a manifestation of greed, a, a bad one. And there are people like that. But because that's so often our picture, we can sometimes struggle to recognize greed in our own lives. It can be hard to associate ourselves with greed. We have no problems admitting the other monsters. Yeah, Perry, I've been angry before. You know, yeah, there's been times I felt guilt. But it, but it can be hard to, to say, yeah, I'm greedy because we're often not running around stealing from people. Um, But today what I want to do is point out some of the red flags of greed. Talk about greed a little and maybe pose some questions for us so that we can see, is greed maybe evident a little bit in my life? And if so, uh, if we don't do anything about it, what are some of those harmful effects that we talked about that this monster can bring about? And lastly, How do we combat that? How do we unmask the monster of greed? There are a few different definitions of greed that you can find if you look online or in your dictionary or whatnot, but they all boil down to the same basic idea, that greed is a selfish desire for more of something beyond what is needed. Greed is a selfish desire for more of something beyond what is needed. And this can be wealth, this can be social value, power, status. Uh, but again, it's excessively desiring something, selfishly desiring something. And we're going to discuss these two uh, a little today. But first, we're going to dive into Scripture. We're going to be reading in Luke chapter 12. Today, we'll be starting in verse 13. We find, as we pick up here, that Jesus has been preaching to very large amounts of people. Because that's what he does. He draws large crowds. There are thousands of people. And Luke says there are so many people that they're actually trampling on top of each other. So apparently, it's more dangerous to go hear Jesus preach than it is to go out on Black Friday. Uh, Who knew? Uh, But that's what Luke says. That's what Luke says. And as Jesus is teaching, someone from the crowd speaks up. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. We have this guy, he comes to Jesus, he's, he's clearly upset because of some issue involving the family inheritance. We don't know the circumstances. Uh, did the brother actually do something wrong? Does he have a legitimate complaint? Is he just trying to cheat his brother out of something? Uh, we don't know. We don't know. But we see that this guy feels, this is pretty important. Uh, it matters to me a lot because I'm going to interrupt this teaching of thousands of people. Uh, to to bring this up to Jesus. 
And it's, it's funny to me because of all the things that I could ask Jesus about, it wouldn't be over some petty sibling argument about money. Like, hey, Jesus, can you explain dinosaurs and fossils? How did that work? Or Jesus, here's a good one. Uh, how do I get to heaven? Uh, and some people ask him that. How do I get eternal life? And this guy's like, hey, no, Jesus, uh, money, me and my brother, can you? Like, okay, sure. Uh, but it's really important to him uh, to interrupt teaching and miracles and all these things to ask that. And Jesus responds. He's like, that's not my job, dude. <laughs> I have a job here. It's not to talk to you and, and divide your, your money with your family. And so then he uses this as a, an object lesson to the crowd. He turns to them and he says this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And here in this interaction, we see the first red flag of greed. Greed says it's all about me. Greed says that it's all about me. We see the mindset of this man here who's coming to Jesus. Jesus is a rabbi, sure, but he does not have the legal authority to tell a brother to pay another brother inheritance. But this guy doesn't care about that. It, it's all about him. Um, I'm going to bring all this attention upon me and my problem and interrupt everything going on here, even though you can't help me because it's all about me. Remember, our definition of greed is a selfish desire for more of something. It's all about me. And so maybe some questions to get us thinking. Uh, do you often find yourselves uh, arguing or, or maybe upset over small amounts of money? Do you frequently remember just how much you went to someone and you're keeping exact track of how much they owe you back? Uh, do you get upset at the thought that maybe someone would ask you for something or offended at the thought of lending something to someone? Now, granted, if, if someone borrows something from you, you, should, you can expect it back. But these are some questions to ask because maybe they'll help us uncover if we have a mindset that says it's all about me. That's a greed mindset. Through this series, we've been talking about the debt-to-debtor relationship. Anger tells us that, hey, you owe me. For what you did wrong, how you wronged me, you owe me. Guilt says, for what I did wrong, I owe you. I owe you. Jealousy says, God owes me. All those things that he's given other people, God owes me. But notice what greed says. Um, the debt-to-debt relationship for greed is that I owe me. I owe me. That all-about-me mindset, I and me, what I deserve, what I need, I deserve more, I owe me. And Jesus says, guys, be on guard against this kind of mindset. Watch out for this monster. There's more to life than possessions and things, but if you allow this me-first mindset to start to creep in, you may not realize that. Maybe the best way to recognize this attitude is not to look at our response when we get what we want, but when we don't get what we want. Since greed says it's all about me, if I really want a promotion for work at work, but I don't get it, am I bitter about the other person who did. Maybe I have a little resentment towards them because it's all about me. If I see people, maybe my friends or, or my family, obtaining things that I can't really afford, am I happy for them or am I a little upset because it's all about me? Going back to our story, the, the guy in scripture, the brother may have had a legal right to the inheritance, we don't know, but he wasn't going through the right channels to get it if he did because it's all about me. It's just what I want 
in this moment, it's all about me. That's the mindset that greed gives us. So Jesus says, be on guard against this. And then he continues to teach, and, and he uh, begins to tell a parable about this uh, greed and, and this man who's come up. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Of course, that's the answer. And I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Just take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? He looks at the crowd. He says, guys, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. He tells this parable about this man who clearly has greed somewhat in, in his life. And we see that first red flag we talked about clearly. It's all about me. My barns and building bigger barns so I can sort my extra grain, me, me, me. But we also see a second red flag of greed. Greed stops us from being content with what we have. Greed stops us from being content with what we have. Notice what the farmer is doing. He's building bigger barns to store his surplus grain. Now, I'm not a farmer, and I've never grown food for myself a day in my life. Uh, but I like to think that if your barns, plural, are all full, you probably have enough grain. That's just a thought from a mid-Atlantic Christian University graduate. Uh, so take it or leave it. Uh, but I don't think he's, he's very lacking in the grain department, but he's not content. He needs more. That contestant from the video I mentioned earlier, uh, he was actually destroyed when he, when he lost that money. You can see it on his face. And he even admitted it himself. He said this, I'm such an idiot, dude. And I had it all, $700,000. I don't know why I did that. And not to just harp on him, because we've all made decisions before that we regret, but I just wonder, man, if you had been content at, you know, four, five, six, $700,000, like maybe the outcome could have been different for you. But going back to our definition, a selfish desire for more of something beyond what is needed. Beyond what is needed. So look at your life and, and ask yourself, even, even beyond money, like, are you content with what you have or are you always wanting excess uh, when you think to yourself, hey, I need another pair of shoes, like, do you really? Like, step into your closet. How many pairs do you have? Do you actually need more? Um, as I was writing this, I thought about myself. I have about 40 games at home for my PlayStation. That's a lot. And sometimes I'll go into GameStop and think, oh, I need that one. Really, Perry? Do you actually? <laughs> uh, maybe you're crossing into that beyond what is needed territory. Um, you may not think of yourself as greedy. You may say, I don't really have a, all about me mindset, Perry. And that's cool, but, but are you able to recognize when you have enough? Uh, whether it's shoes or, or video games, uh, clothes, the latest model of whatever, extra grain in your barns. Like, yeah, we can want stuff, but if we don't get it or, or we find where we're at, are we content? Again, these are some questions to help us sort of uncover. Is, is there a little bit of greed in my life? Some red flags to, to try to look for, examine in ourselves. Is everything about you, or are you, are you content with things? Ask yourself this. And 
the reason I say all this is because there are, in fact, some detrimental effects to greed. Uh, maybe you think, Perry, it's just a little bit of selfishness, right? Like, sure, I shouldn't only be focused on me. You know, I, I should be content. But, like, at the end of the day, it's, it's just a little selfishness. Like, what anger's got to be worse, right? Like, that's definitely a, wor a worse monster, right? Maybe we can sort of justify some. But Paul is pretty serious with what he says greed leads to. Uh, in 1 Timothy, we're going to flip over there, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He's talking to Timothy, and he uses some pretty vivid words, vivid language about what greed does, what greed leads to. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, we could say greed as a whole here, for greed is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money or some people selfishly desiring more than what is needed have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I don't know about you, but I'd pass on that. Ruin, destruction, many griefs, I'm fine, Paul. I don't want that. Uh, and we'd all agree with that. No one would say, sign me up for grief and destruction. But that's what greed leads to. That's the end result, ruin, destruction. There are harmful effects of greed. And, and so what are they? What are these harmful effects, these many griefs that Paul talks about? Well, I think the first one and one of the most obvious is that greed can lead to attempts for us to take what we desire in immoral ways, attempts to gain what we desire in immoral ways. I said earlier that most of us probably aren't running around you know, stealing from people, but the reality is some people do that. Greed can lead to that. Theft, manipulation, trying to do what we can to, to take from others to satisfy ourselves. I mean, sure, I'd like to hope that you know, I would never do that and you guys would never do that. But Paul says, look, greed can lead to things like that. And I think it's pretty self-explanatory how that's harmful to you and your relationships. I mean, just as none of us would say, sign me up for ruin and destruction, none of us are volunteering to, to be stolen from, to be taken advantage of. But greed can lead to that, and it can affect our relationships. What else? What, what are other harmful effects of greed? Uh, well, just flat out, we don't have joy, uh, a lack of joy. When greed starts to creep in, we talked about one of the you know, red flags are one of the symptoms of, of greed being uh, lack of contentment. But as that sort of builds up over time, that itself is a, is a harmful effect. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says it this way, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If we're not content, that begins to ruin our emotional well-being because we just want more and more and more. We just flat out don't have joy and we're not happy. And lastly, and probably the little, the scariest to me, I think so, is that Paul says greed causes some to wander from the faith. Greed can disrupt our spiritual lives. Um, in that parable that Jesus told, he said that the man was so focused on his barns and his grain and the things that he wanted that when eternity came knocking, he wasn't ready. Uh, some, some pretty interesting words that God says, you fool. But he wasn't ready. Jesus, in another area of teaching, phrases it this way, you can't serve two masters. Either you are 
following me, seeking me, desiring me, or you're maybe selfishly desiring all these other things in excess. Um, greed leads to us trying to gain what we desire in immoral ways. It, it robs us of our joy, and it disrupts our spiritual life. If, if left to fester, that's what it leads to. And so how do we unmask this monster? What do we do? How do we stop that? Uh, when I was growing up, my favorite holiday was Christmas. Uh, it, was, it was the best. Easily better than Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. I would, yeah, thank you, Silas. Agreed. Uh, we, would, we would watch The Polar Express and How the Grinch Stole Christmas every single year, which are the two best Christmas movies. And since I'm the one speaking on stage, that has to be true. And you have to write it down in your notes. Um, <laughs> we would make cookies each year, which was great. Uh, who doesn't love cookies? Uh, we would look at lights for my Greenville people. Y'all know that big house across from Sam's Club on the corner? You could drive through their uh, driveway, and they had all the lights set up. It was great. I love Christmas. And to top it all off, of course, you have the presents. You have all, all the gifts that you can get that you get to unwrap on Christmas morning. My grandparents would always let us unwrap one on Christmas Eve. Uh, it was great. And they were really good at gift-giving. When I was super young, I'd get the new Hess toy each year. I wonder if my youth even know what Hess is. Um, Oh, yeah, Silas says he has a lot. Um, but I get those every year. I remember getting a, a DS, a black DS, my first one, when I was like seven or so. My sister broke it later. It's been 15 years. I still have a grudge, and that's why I bring it up in a sermon. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but no, the, the presents were great. The gifts were good. But I remember one year there was sort of a shift where I decided, hey, instead of just receiving, like, why don't you try to give a gift this year? So I was going to get a gift for my grandmother. I didn't know what to get her, so I had to ask. Grandma, what do you want? And she told me she wanted a, a bottle of perfume. And I can still picture that bottle. It was like this tall. It was skinny and rectangular at an orange top. I want to say it was from Clinique, maybe. Uh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> but I, I got that that year for her. I couldn't drive, so she had to take me to the store to get it. <laughs> and uh, even better yet, I didn't have a job, so she probably paid for it as well. Uh, but I was so excited to, to give that gift to her. And I was still super excited about all the, the gifts that I got to open that year, but I also found this like, new joy in being able to give that year as well. The way that we unmask the monster of greed is through generosity. We unmask greed through generosity, through the giving of what we have, through the sharing of what we have with others. When we're generous, when we're giving, we are actively combating that me-first mindset. We're actively deciding, hey, everything isn't about me, and even if I give this, I'm content. Even if I share this, I'm content. And uh, this isn't just me trying to sound smart. I didn't come up with, you know, this alliteration, oh, greed, generosity, oh, it sounds cool. This is actually what Peter and Paul say. Excuse me, Jesus and Paul. Peter probably said it too. He, he followed Jesus a lot. Um, but, but generosity is the key, and they both mention this shortly after they talk about greed. Jesus gives his parable. And then he has this little section where he gives some teaching about you need to trust in God. He provides for the birds. He feeds them. He clothes the, the field with grass. And so you can trust in him. And he says all that. And then he says this in Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus says, if your life is overflowing with generosity instead of greed, then in this weird, like, paradoxical way, you're actually gaining treasure even as you're giving away. It's just a heavenly treasure. It's a, it's a spiritual treasure. But the command is right there. Watch out. Be on guard against greed. And instead, be generous. Give. Share. Paul, he echoes the, the same idea. He says this in 1 Timothy 6.17, after he said, hey, greed leads to ruin and destruction and, and many griefs. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now here, Paul specifies the rich, but I think we see enough scriptural support that this is an application for all of us. Give, be generous, be willing to share. Don't put your hope in wealth and, and money and things. First of all, you never have enough and you're never content with it. You always want more, but instead be generous, share, give. And just like Jesus, he says, hey, you'll gain treasure, a life that is truly life. And that sounds a lot more appealing to me than ruin and destruction, does it not? Uh, does that mean every single time someone asks us for something, we say yes? No, no. We have to exercise wisdom. Scripture talks about that. We're not always in a position to, but when we are, Paul says, hey, you should be willing to, instead of that mindset that says, me, 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 you should have a mindset that says, when I have the opportunity and I have the means, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to share. And that can be spontaneous. There can be a time where you just realize right on the spot, yes, I can give, whether it's my money or, or my time or my things. I, I have the, the capability to be generous, and that's good. Do that. But I also think that a lot of the times, probably most of the time, our giving needs to be intentional. Intentional. Because remember, greed is a specific mindset, and that's not just going to change on the spot. But as we continuously choose to put others first and to be generous and to give, again, we're act actively fighting, tearing down that mindset of me first. Uh, the two just aren't compatible with one another. And so our challenge this week, we always like to give a challenge at the end of a lesson, something that you can actually do and can take with you and do this week, is this. Think about ways you can intentionally be generous. Think about ways that you can intentionally be generous. One of the examples that we see of this in the Old Testament is the idea of the tithe. Uh, percentage giving is the, the Israelites saying, hey, I'm going to choose, before I do anything with, with my money, uh, with, with my crops that I've grown, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give away part of it uh, to the temple, to God. I'm going to decide that intentionally I'm going to be generous. That's one way. Uh, there are lots of Christians who, who choose to, to worship in that way by giving. There's, there's ways outside of that. I'm not just saying you have to give to your church. You can support uh, other different kinds of, of ministry-related things. Even outside of the church and ministry, you may know of someone who is in a tough spot, who uh, needs help that you can provide for, that you can be generous to. And again, this extends outside of money. But there are ways that Jesus and Paul command us to be generous, to build up the kingdom through giving. 
And maybe you say, Perry, I'm, I'm already a pretty generous person. Well, that's good, and there's no reason to stop now. So you can still join us in this challenge. But again, I encourage all of us, think this week, how can I be generous? How can I give? If, if maybe I see some of those red flags, if maybe sometimes I do think a little too much about me, maybe sometimes I, I am not quite content when I, when I probably have enough, give, be generous, intentionally, plan to do it. Because the reality is, guys, that greed is a monster. Truthfully, we sort of named the series that, or Chris named the series that because of Halloween, like spooky season monster. Uh, but it is. It is a monster. Uh, just like the, the big creatures we see in the scary movies, it leads to ruin and destruction. That's what Paul says. It traps us. But it's not without a weakness. We can unmask this monster through generosity. It can lose its power over us, and we can escape its trap. And in doing so, we get a lot more than $100,000. Let's pray.